Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are indeed Locked On Magic. Today is August 31st, 2017. My name is Philip Reich. I'm the expert and site editor over at OrlandoMagicDaily.com. Wanted to come on here quickly before we get into the meat of today's episode. It is a long episode as I join Josh Lloyd of Locked On Fantasy Basketball to preview the Orlando Magic from the fantasy basketball perspective. But I wanted to just come on here and uh, just make a few couple quick announcements and talk about uh, at least one other thing uh, before we dive in. Of course, yesterday I was supposed to have a guest. I decided to skip yesterday's show, so you are not going crazy. There was no episode of Locked On Magic yesterday. Um, guest had to cancel at the last minute. Uh, we'll have him back on hopefully again next week. Very excited about this guest, so definitely want to get him on when I can. Uh, but wanted to just make sure everyone knew everything's okay. I'm doing fine. It's it's all good, um, and 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 all of that. Uh, I also wanted to remind everyone that Thursday afternoon at 1 p.m. Eastern time, Eurobasket starts for France and Evan Fournier. Evan Fournier and France take on Finland in their first game of Eurobasket. I believe they're playing in Romania. Uh, that can be found on the Watch ESPN app. We'll have a little bit more on Eurobasket, including a recap of that first game on tomorrow's episode of Locked On Magic. And the final thing that I do want to talk about real fast, I, I may mention it again on tomorrow's episode, um, just from 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 all of us at Orlando Magic Daily, from myself uh, and, uh, and Locked On Magic, very happy to hear, uh, and, and, and I saw the tweet earlier and, and didn't think much of it, but then I read what happened and, and I wanted to make sure everyone knew this as well. Very happy to hear that Jonathan Simmons is doing okay. Um, if you don't know, Jonathan Simmons is from the Houston area. He was actually in Houston during Hurricane Harvey. Uh, us Floridians, we know that hurricanes are no laughing matter, um, You know, although we do tend to have some gallows humor about them sometimes. But this was a major storm. Everyone knew it was going to, it was going to cause uh, some massive damage to the Houston area. The flood, if, you, if you're watching the news at all, you are undoubtedly seeing uh, some of the images coming from Houston. The flooding there has been absolutely devastating. Uh, and uh, it's been uh, really... Awe-inspiring to see some of the humanity that's taken place as far as people helping each other out. And, and Jonathan Simmons is certainly thankful for that as well. Um, go check out OrlandoMagic.com uh, for John Denton's write-up of uh, Simmons and his story. He was staying at a friend's house outside of Houston. They they, they bought in a lot of food. He bought air mattresses. It, it seemed like they were ready to hunker down and wait this thing out for a few days. Turns out that... The water damage for some of his other friends were much worse. They ended up having much more people there than they anticipated, and it became very clear that they would have to get out uh, if they were going to uh, going to survive, pretty much. Um, you know, just be able to to live uh, at least fairly comfortably 
uh, and and they were actually uh, rescued by boat. While there's no flooding in in the area that that or there's no flooding in the house that Simmons was staying at, according to according to the story from John Denton, um, he uh, they did have to go out into into knee deep water. They were rescued by boat. Actually, a local rapper has been going around rescuing people on his boat. Um, so Simmons was rescued by boat. Uh, they were taken um, by dump truck a few miles out, and, and they are completely safe now. Um, Simmons has not been able to get back to his uh, apart to his condo in downtown Houston because of the flooding there. Uh, but it does seem like he's in good spirits. Uh, Coach Frank Vogel, as well as several Magic players, reportedly reached out to him to to try and, and lighten his mood and, and let him know that that they were thinking of him. Uh, we're of course thinking of him as well. Um, another Magic player, uh, two two other Magic players actually have ties to Houston. Wesley Owundu is from Houston. Wesley has been in Orlando prepping for the season, but much of his family still lives in Houston. He reported to John Denton of OrlandoMagic.com that everyone is okay, uh, as well as DJ Augustin, who actually moved from New Orleans to Houston uh, during Hurricane Katrina. Um, unbelievably, they, they got hit again. His family got hit again by a really nasty Gulf hurricane. Um, but apparently everyone in, in Augustine's family is doing fine as well. So this is all good news to hear. Um, if you're if you're looking to uh, help the people of Houston in any way, uh, be sure to check out the American Red Cross. Uh, the Orlando Magic as well as the as well as the NBA and other teams are uh, joining together to try and help the recovery efforts, uh, donating money, of course as well as other resources, be sure to check out, or I'm sure it's up on orlandomagic.com. Um, I'll post the information as well up on orlandomagicdaily.com. Happy to hear that everyone is doing okay. Uh, again, we know hurricanes, especially hurricanes as big as, as, as Hurricane Harvey was, are nothing to laugh at. You you take them seriously, and, and it appears that, that Simmons did, but even then, uh, you know, it's it's hard to predict what these storms will do, and, and of course the devastation in Houston has been huge. But if we know anything about Houston, if we know anything about Houston, it's to never, never doubt the heart of a champion. And and if anyone knows the character of the people of Houston and the and the hearts that they have, it's us in Orlando. So we'll be thinking of you, Houston, and 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 we'll see you. Uh, uh, back on your feet very, very soon. Let's get back to basketball now. Here is uh, my appearance on the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast with Josh Lloyd. Why do people love to hate? You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and as always you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. I am back doing another season preview podcast today. We're going to be staying in the Southeast Division as we were for the previous one today which was the Washington Wizards. Today we're going to be looking at another team that's in the... Uh, in the, the fantasy realm, I guess, we had the Wizards. Now we're going to be looking at the Orlando Magic. And in order to discuss everything going on with the Orlando Magic, I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Magic podcast, Philip Rossman-Reich. Phil, welcome back to the show. Good to be back. Uh, glad glad to be back on here uh, talking about talking about the mystical arts, I guess. 
Yes, we're all uh, we're all we're all looking at. Uh, so in t- I'm just trying to tie it into the Game of Thrones finale. Just we're all going <laughs> going with the mystery and fantasy and all that sort of stuff. Um, so we're going to talk about this Orlando Magic team who they've been disappointing. We we all know that over the past I don't know how long ten years, nine years, eight years maybe. Um, and I, I think there's maybe some sort of start for hope for this team with some of the young players coming on and, and recent draftees, but they still feel like they're a little bit away. Don't they feel? Yeah, it definitely feels like they're still, they've still got some work to do to, to get back into, into real contention. Uh, they, they still don't really have that, that one guy that you can point to and say, that's their best player. Uh, even after last year where they, they won 29 total games, uh, they obviously made a big trade at the trade at the trade deadline uh, to to kind of reshuffle the deck a little bit, but they largely kept the same roster from last year. And so, if there is optimism, it's kind of a cautious optimism, is, is how I'm describing it. Uh, but it, it, mostly, I think a lot of the optimism comes because the East has fallen back down to them, and so it seems like if they're going to achieve something, it won't take as much as it might have a year ago. Yeah, they might they might only need to increase six wins this year to actually get themselves into the eighth seat, which which might might be tough to do. But you know, they could a realistic situation of 35, 36 wins could get that eight seed in the Eastern Conference, and they put themselves in that discussion with probably the Knicks and the Pacers as those teams that are better than the the Bulls and the Hawks and and the Nets who are in the in the bottom section. Not that you know, they could all finish in a muddled order, but I would say that they're in that second bottom tier uh, of teams in the East at the moment. So what, what I like doing in these shows, we just talk about the guys who arrived to the team and how they're going to fit in and, and what they're going to do and what their role's going to be and how they're going to fit. So with the, the Magic, the biggest name that arrived uh, in free agency in this offseason was Jonathan Simmons from the San Antonio Spurs. It appeared that Simmons would be going back to the Spurs without any sort of hassle at all, and then um, it came out that the Magic had signed him. We thought, oh well, they must have they must have overpaid in, in order to get Simmons, but that wasn't the case at all. It seemed like a, a really nice contract for the Magic to nab Simmons. He is a an older restricted free agent, um, having not come into the league through the draft. He was a little bit older, but Phil, when that Simmons uh, when that Simmons contract was announced, what was your initial reaction? And then when you saw the money for it, like did that change your opinion on it? Uh, you know, I. Jonathan Simmons was a guy that a lot of Magic fans had targeted in free agency. And, and I was the guy telling Magic fans, don't expect a lot of changes this summer. They, they don't have the money to spend. I think they had something around like $13 million of cap room to spend entering the summer, which, you know, for a 29-win team is probably not a, a great way to, to, to spur some optimism, uh, pun intended there. But uh, the Magic stayed patient, and, and when Simmons' restricted free agency kind of fell apart uh, – I was surprised that they, they got him, and I was ecstatic because he's kind of the exact kind of player that the Magic seem to be targeting. Uh, guys who can play multiple positions, uh, can defend really well, and, and, and yeah, this team has an offense problem. But Simmons showed last year, especially in the playoffs, that he can when he gets hot, he can be a, a, a you know first primary scorer. I mean, obviously, getting hot kind of leads you to that, and so the question with him is, is going to be whether he can be consistent and do a little bit more than six points per game, but he seemed to be the kind of player that, that just absolutely fits what the Magic want to have. And seeing that the contract that came in, I think it was three years, $18 million, or three years, $20 million, that was just icing on the cake, especially since it's front-loaded. So it's going to become much more... It's I mean, three-year deal is really nothing, especially with that last year non-guaranteed. So it was just a home-run deal, in my opinion, all the way through. 
Now, what you said about the playoffs and getting hot is something that I think is really important for people to pay attention to with Simmons because John Simmons, he started the season last year with a game against Golden State where I believe he hit four threes and everyone was like, oh, my God, look at this. Simmons is, is taking off. Everyone's got to go and run and grab him in their fantasy leagues. He's going to take over from Danny Green. And I was like, I'm not so sure about that. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. And it turned out that was the case. He was out of the rotation, like literally did not play in games during the season. He was overtaken by Kyle Anderson. He struggled. I don't think after he hit those four threes in that first game, I don't think he hit a three for about another three months after that. He was a, a putrid shooter for the majority of the time. But as you said, when Kawhi Leonard was out in the playoffs, he stepped into that role and he started putting up big numbers. And you know, through his playoff games, he, he started four games, but he played 15 games and, and averaged 18 points per 36 minutes. He was giving three and a half assists over a Steeler game and hitting his threes at 35%. Now, that's only a, a limited sample size, but that's what people do look at and they get excited. But I'm I'm uh, I'm here much like you said, you, you want to temper expectations on the Magic offseason. Like I'm going to temper expectations on Simmons here because I'm not sure that he can maintain that level of performance that he had against the Warriors. And it seems like the Warriors are the only team he's able to really perform at that level against, which is, which is weird in itself. Um, I'm not sure he's going to be able to extrapolate that over a full 82-game season and be that offensive threat who's hitting threes and doing all this other stuff. Um, in fact... Phil, I don't even know if he's going to be a starter on this team. Do you think that he will be? I, I do not think he's going to be a starter, and, and, and we may get into this a little bit later on, but uh, I, I think that the Magic believed that they that they found something in their starting lineup last year because after the All-Star break, the starting lineup of Alfred Payton, Evan Fournier, Terrence Ross, Aaron Gordon, and Nikola Vucevic scored about 112 points per 100 possessions, which for a, a team that struggled to score 90 for parts of last year, was just absolutely incredible. Um, you know, the, the defense is another story, but I think the Magic saw enough from their starting lineup, obviously, because they didn't make any changes to the starting lineup, to, that they felt comfortable going into it. And so my assumption is entering the season that that's going to be the starting lineup and that Simmons is going to come off the bench. Now, there's probably going... It wouldn't surprise me if there is a stretch during the season where the Magic look to, you know, maybe shake things up. They're going through a rough stretch and they insert Simmons in the lineup. I think he's the first guy that gets called up to that starting lineup. Uh, even just to balance balance the lineups a little bit, you know, add, add more of a primary score. Because right now, I would say Simmons is the sixth man on the team and probably the guy that they're going to put the ball kind of in his hands a little bit and, and let him create and see what he can do with that second unit. Um, you know, kind of give him more of the starring role like he had in the playoffs and see if that works for him. At worst, they know that he's a solid defender. You know, he's obviously got to improve his three-point shooting. Uh, but he's he's kind of this, this grab bag player right now. And I think the Magic are willing to kind of give him some opportunity with the second unit at least to start off with. Yeah, I can see that being the case. I, I also believe that he will come off the bench and, and play behind Terrence Ross, and that's going to take him out of consideration for the majority of fantasy leagues. I think yeah, deeper leagues you can look at, and, and as a guy that should be a top 200 guy, maybe a top 170, but I think in order for him to get to top 100 or top 120, a lot of things would need to change. A, he'd need to take that role and play 30-plus minutes, and B, he'd need to improve his you know, play in multiple different areas. He'd need to be that guy who is creating and getting those extra assists and getting those steals and, and hitting the shots at, at an elevated rate, which we're just not sure that he can do at this point. So he's a, he's a name to watch and it is a situation to watch. But I, I do believe like you that he will be that you know, that sixth man who, who plays less than 30 minutes a game and uh, and fills in gaps and does his defensive stuff and runs some stuff 
on the second unit, and uh, and that's not going to be ideal for most sort of fantasy situations. The other guys that they brought in, they're all going to be in much uh, smaller roles. Uh, Maurice Spates comes across from the Clippers, and I would assume that he moves into the third string center role. Is there any way, Phil, do you, do you think that he cuts into what Bismack Biombo uh, was doing, and maybe those guys play you know one one game it's that we need some offense from the center so we see more spates and then there's the next game we need more defense so it's more biombo or is he going to be just strictly in as an emergency third string center type of player i think most nights he will be an emergency third string center type guy uh i think obvious i mean i think there's some financial reasons why i mean nikola vucevic he's established himself as a starting center on this team uh but bismack biombo is getting paid 17 million dollars a year so it's it's kind of tough to leave that on the bench, um, especially since he's got three years left on his on his contract. Um, that's that's just that from a business perspective, I imagine that's going to be very tough to justify. And and in, in fairness, for what the Magic are trying to do defensively, I think Biombo still does a lot more than any any center they have on on the floor. But it, it wouldn't you know again it wouldn't surprise if there's an injury. Spates obviously plays. It wouldn't surprise me if the team is struggling offensively. They need a little bit of a spark or they need to spread the floor a little bit. Spates comes in, but I, I wouldn't expect a huge role for Spates. I, I think there's some suggestion maybe from some Magic fans that he might try and get some minutes at power forward, especially if like Jonathan no, Isaac's struggling. I, I don't see that. I don't see him as a power forward. He just doesn't have the mobility to do it at, no. at, at, in, in the league anymore. And, and they have another guy that, that we'll talk about uh, in a little bit that I think probably plays that role a little bit better. Yeah, Um yeah, I, I say that the same thing for Spates. He's not going to be playing every game, but he's a guy that if he comes in for 10, 12 minutes, he could he could hit one and a half threes in that time, and he's definitely not going to be afraid of shooting it. So if they are looking to, to spark things offensively, he could get that role, but it's not going to be an every night thing for Spates. So don't get overly excited there. Uh, with him, the other guys, they brought in Shelvin Mack, who comes across from the Utah Jazz, who struggled for the majority of the season, then uh, played some big minutes when George Hill was out down the stretch and put up some decent numbers. Do you think that he um, immediately moves ahead of DJ Augustin as the backup point guard, um, or is he going to you know, sort of battle for that role, or, or is he going to be a third-string guy? I, I think it's going to be a battle for for the backup point guard role for the entire season. Uh, I I suspect that Shelvin Mack is going to win that battle. Um, I think, again, I think the Magic are really looking to improve their defense. Um, that, that's what they wanted to be bit, built on last year. It obviously didn't work uh, toward the end of, I, I, I mean, I'm, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in a little bit, but everything the Magic did this summer, I think was kind of with the idea that their final 24 games after the All-Star break, after they made the, tra- the Serge Ibaka for Terrence Ross trade, that's who this team kind of is. And so the weakness of that team was their defense. Their defense was just terrible. And, and DJ Augustine just, he didn't quite fit the style that they were playing on either end of the floor anymore. Uh, he had just a really bad year. And and I think going out in free agency specifically and, and frankly overpaying a little bit to get Shelvin Mack, he's on a two-year deal with his second-year guaranteed, so it's not killer from a cap standpoint. But going out and getting Shelvin Mack specifically, to me that signals that they're looking to make a change with their point guard rotation. And so, I, I mean, I think it's going to be a constant battle. It, there's going to be, I think, a point in the season where Mack is, is struggling and, and doesn't have it and they're going to turn to Augustine and Augustine's going to either, you know, sink or swim then. Uh, so there, there's probably going to be a stretch of games where Max out of the rotation or playing the third string point guard role, but I would suspect that he's going to be the primary backup point guard for most of the season. 
Yeah, I, I think that as well. And uh, again, when he replaced George Hill, he put up serviceable numbers. So if Peyton happens to have any sort of injury and miss some time, then Max, a guy that you can you can bring in uh, on a short term basis to get you get you some assist, maybe some steals. It's still a little bit of what needs to be done in sort of that uh, temporary point guard role. Fills now, I wanna, exactly, I want to transition to something about Frank Vogel on this team because. I feel like every decision that Vogel made in the beginning of last season was contrary to what I thought he should do, and it turned out to be wrong in nearly every case. And then you said those last 24 games of the season, it's like he worked out what he needed to have worked out at the start of the season, and everything fell into place. I'm talking about times when he would bench Alfred Payton so that DJ Augustine could start or CJ Watson could start, you know, putting Biombo and Vucevic and splitting those guys minutes or starting Biombo over Vucevic, playing Aaron Gordon out of position. It just felt like every decision he, that he made to begin the season turned out to be the wrong one. Do you have confidence in Vogel now, now that we've seen what actually works best for these young guys who could conceivably be the core of this team moving forward, that he's seen how it works together, that he will stick with that? Or are we going to see more of this you know, back and forth tinkering that he uh, went through at the start of last season? You know, I think I think a lot of what you talked about um, there was kind of just the roster he was given. Uh, you know, the, the roster he was given just was not a roster that, that fit together really well. And then, you know, I think I came on here last year and probably played the optimist because I tend to play the optimist. Uh, but pretty much everyone was saying, how is this going to work? How is this going to work? And, and my thought at the time was, you know, don't worry about how bad the offense is going to be because the defense is going to be good. And if your defense is good, you typically at least have a shot. And what no one saw coming was at about the quarter pole of the season, literally the quarter pole of the season, the defense just stopped playing well. And so all of those poor matches, you know, just it, it, it all just fell apart. And so I think Vogel was trying to do his best with a roster that didn't fit, with it, that just didn't work well together. I mean, they didn't have enough shooting. Guys were playing out of position. Uh, they had all these big-name players who were really good, but they all kind of bumped into each other and – canceled each other's skills out. And and I think it, when I describe, I have confidence that Vogel's going to be able to bounce back. I mean, I think what he showed in his time with Indiana was he showed the ability to be be a little bit flexible with the roster style that he has, with the roster style that he's given, and find success. I mean, the, the team after they, they got, they traded David West, after they lost David West, that was a, that was a playoff team, a top, top five defensive, or a really good defensive team. I don't think they were top five, they were top ten. Uh, and they, they shifted to that small ball lineup, and, and it worked. And even with Paul George coming back from injury. So I, I think that Vogel will be able to make the adjustments. I, I think what just ha what happened last year was he was given a roster. He, try, he, he tried to get everyone who, was me, who needed to play, essentially, on the floor. And that just didn't work because – they all just didn't work well together. They didn't fit well together. You can't play Bismack Biombo and Nikola Vucevic together. You can't play Aaron Gordon at the three, which maybe that was an experiment worth doing, but not in such a pressure-packed season. Uh, you, you can't have so few shooters on the floor uh, and, and expect an offense to work, even if your defense is really good. And so I think all those gambles are now gone. I think the rotation for this team makes a lot more sense. Aaron Gordon is the power forward. There's really no one there to challenge him. His, his, I think his backup backups are, is, the, is the rookie, Jonathan Isaac. Um, there, there is some defen defensive versatility, but everyone kind of falls into their roles a lot better, and I think that's going to make Frank Vogel's job a lot easier.
Yeah, I, I can see that being being the case for him uh, this season. Now, another guy that they brought in is a guy that they brought back, and that's Aaron Aflalo. And I think finally people have realized, and it's taken a while, but fantasy people used to really like Aaron Aflalo. I'm going to give him a chance. He's going to start. Like, he's been bad for three, four years now. And I think people actually realize that that he is still bad. I don't think there's anyone still holding out hope that Aaron Aflalo is going to come in here and he's going to yes, supplant Evan Fournier, and it's going to be back to the 2012 days of, of Aflalo uh, in Orlando. Is he going to be, do you think, a regular part of the rotation or is he going to be more of a, 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 a maybe play 60% of the games? You know, I, I, you know, it's funny you say that that he's he's been really bad since really leaving Orlando because I think he would agree with that too. Um, you know, when, when he came back to, to, to the Magic, when he walked to the Amway Center, the, the guy was just smiling. He was so happy to be back in Orlando. And, and he knows that he's not going to be that player um, and, and – Aflalo certainly in, in 2011 and, or in 2012 and 2013 uh, was kind of the, the best player on a bad team, so he put up all the numbers. Uh, but uh, he's definitely going to be able to fill a really important role for this Magic team. Uh, I, and I suspect that he's going to be a, a, a fixture in the rotation uh, coming off the bench, uh, you know, playing either alongside Jonathan Simmons or whoever doesn't start, uh, and being kind of an anchor player. And honestly... He's probably the, uh, I think statistically even, he's the best three-point shooter on the team. He shot, what, 40.1% from beyond the arc last year? Um, The Magic desperately needs shooting. And so to have a guy like Aaron Aflalo, who, you know, who, you know, the the organization at least knows really well, um, to have a guy like him, you know, be able to insert him in a spot start, as a spot starter if someone gets hurt or... To, to bring him off the bench, they know they're going to be able to count and rely on him. I mean, he's, they're not asking him to score 12, 15 points per game. He's probably looking, they're probably looking for him to average seven, eight, nine points per game and, and hit a three to help space the floor. If, if he can copy the three-point shooting that he had last year and continue the efficiency that, that he was known for even in Orlando when he was a high-usage player, he's going to be a really solid addition to this team. So he, he pretty much comes in and fills the role that Jody Meeks was playing in the second half of last season, which I guess doesn't mean great things for Mario Hazonia. Let's just talk about Hazonia now because I've, I've made, made that segue. Got to um, rip the Band-Aid off. Yeah, like what what what, what do we do? What, what's 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 happening? Because he was atrocious and it felt like that Frank Vogel just was like, cool, we just don't care. Like we, I'm, I'm just, I'm done with it. But he did try a few interesting things. He said... He had some interesting comments about Hazonia as well. Like, I think his natural position might be power forward, which I get. I had a lot of people thinking, what are you talking about? But he played him in different positions. And we saw when he played at power forward, we saw his rebounding rate go up. He, he did look all right in these different positions. So heading into his third season now, this is a, a make or break type of year for players. And we've seen guys who have struggled in their first two years before, you know, especially wing players. CJ McCollum had a rough go of things his first two years. Nick Stauskas had a rough go of things his first two years. But in their third year, McCollum obviously to a much larger degree than Stauskas, they looked better. McCollum became a borderline all-star. Stauskas became a legitimate rotation player. Now, his zone is in that position now. Where is he? Like, what, what, what position is he? What does Vogel think? And is he going to, is there any hope that you have for him taking that step forward? You know, I think all, I mean, you asked me those questions and I don't know if I know the answer to any of them because right now, right now, his only just has to prove that he can stay on an NBA basketball court. I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, the confusion, like why isn't his playing more? I mean, you got to think about where the magic were at last year. They, they pushed all their chips into the center of the table to make the playoffs and his struggled to defend. He struggled to hit shots. He shot only uh, 29.9% from beyond the arc. And, and that's what this guy was supposed to be able to do. That was supposed to be 
his draftable NBA-ready skill was his three-point shot, and he couldn't hit a shot. And so it was tough to justify him being out there because the things that he did just just didn't work on on an NBA floor. And so he's very much fighting for his NBA life this this summer and, and this and this training camp. And he's got to prove that he can play and, and work his way into the rotation. I mean, it's it's the NBA. Every player gets their opportunity at some point, but for a guy who's drafted fifth overall two years ago, he's not going to be guaranteed that opportunity. Right now, he is a fringe NBA player, uh, and it, it's hard to say why he fell off the face of the earth. I mean, there 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 are reports out now that he had uh, some some tendonitis issues with his I think with his knee. Um, yep. the, the, the translations are a little rough, and. You know, the magic just couldn't figure out how to how to heal it. It just would not heal. The discomfort would not go away. And that probably affected his play a little bit. That probably affected his shot. I mean, he shot a respectable 34.9% from beyond the arc as a rookie. He's still a capable three-point shooter. It probably affected his lateral quickness most of all, which, again, hurts you on the defensive end. But Hizoni is essentially, I think, fighting for his life in training camp. He's got to prove that he's better than Aaron Aflalo, than than Jonathan Simmons. He's got to, maybe even Jonathan Isaac. He's got to find a way to fight his way into the rotation because he's got talent. There's no doubt he's got talent. I mean, he's he's a really, really good passer when, when he gets out in the open floor, but he just he's just never been able to show it on the NBA floor, even when he was given the opportunity. And especially for, te- and, and, and I would say, honestly, the Magic were probably not the right team for him because they were trying to win now and he needed the opportunity to make mistakes. And that's not an opportunity that Scott Skiles gives you. And that was certainly not an opportunity no. he was going to get last year. So in terms of his fantasy value, obviously we're looking at dynasty leagues. He's a guy that if you can acquire for nothing and if you can get him really cheap, then maybe you do again because it's the third season where players, you'd often take this step forward. Maybe the knee and the tendonitis is okay and he can do these things. And again, as you mentioned, the player he's battling is Aaron Oflalo. So we're not talking about a young starter or a star player with great upside. So if Hazonia shows anything and it's even at the equivalent level of what Oflalo does, then he'll likely get that preference to, to grow and develop, whereas Oflalo is just, yeah, he's on the way down, so, yeah, past each other. But he needs to show that. So if you're looking at him, it's a real hey, let's take a flyer on this in a very, very deep sort of league. But nothing we have really seen from him so far should give us any high level of confidence that he's going to turn it around. But often weird things happen in players. Like another guy that you know, really started to show something in his third year is Noah Vonley, who was who struggled his first couple of years. And then last year, he started to show some things. And this is what happens with young players. So there's not without hope, but the hope is uh, it's not all that high. Now, back to the players that this team added. These two guys aren't going to have much impact. Adrian Payne is on a two-way deal, so he'll barely see the court. And then Kem Birch, which many people will have no idea anything about Kem Birch. So, Philip, what can you tell us about about Birch and as a player? He is a big man. Like, Where does he sort of project to fit in in this team? Yeah, it's, it's hard to find a fit for Kem Birch, especially because he gave up a lot of money to, to come back to the NBA. I mean, he's kind of one of those... He was like a top EuroLeague star, or not even a top EuroLeague star, but he was a guy that a lot of NBA scouts really liked from EuroLeague, who everyone believed was just you know kind of waiting to to get into the door. Uh, he's an energy guy, so from a fantasy perspective, he'll get you blocks, he'll he'll get you rebounds. Uh, he's he's a de- really good defensive player. He's he's a six foot nine kind of power forward center type. Not a whole lot into his offensive game. He's he's good in the pick and roll. Uh, but he's really out there because he's versatile and he can defend just about any position. I mean, you, you, if you YouTube for Ken Birch highlights, 
there's plenty of highlights of him switching on to your onto guards in, in Euro League for his team and and really locking down his man. So he's he's a really strong defender. Um the way his contract is set up, he very well could be the Magic's second two-way guy. Um I suspect that they want to kind of continue developing him. Uh but if I it wouldn't surprise me if he plays his way onto the roster in training camp. And, and it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, there's, there are times when, you know, maybe even a Jonathan Isaac is struggling or, or Jonathan Isaac is, is just kind of showing how young he is, that Ken Birch gets some playing time because he's, he's ready to contribute now. And, and again, it sounds kind of weird to say this about a 29-win team, but I think the Magic are, are patient to a point. They still want to win. Yeah, totally. Um, and, and Birch is that guy. Yeah, you said the rebounding rate, the block rate. That, that's all you know, really important for him, and that, that's the sort of numbers that he can get. But yeah, we're a long way, a long way away from him getting uh, getting a significant role. Now, the players that the Magic lost this offseason: Jody Meeks, he went to the Wizards. Uh, Jeff Green went to the Cavs. My name is Jeff. CJ Watson's gone. Damian Rudej. Uh, Stephen Zimmerman to the Lakers. CJ Wilcox is on a two-way with the uh, with the Blazers, and Marcus George Hunt is uh, has been signed by the Timberwolves. In uh, and even though they've only got twelve men on the roster, and George Hunt is one of those guys. Let's take a quick pause from the podcast to say a brief word from our pals over at SeatGeek. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it is by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere. And with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats. I actually used SeatGeek this weekend. I visited my dad up in Atlanta. We wanted to check out the Braves' new park, SunTrust Park. It's a beautiful park. Uh, and, you know, it was kind of a on-the-whim thing. We kind of talked about maybe going to the game Saturday. And Saturday afternoon, we said, you know what? Let's, let's, let's go to the Braves' game. So we went on SeatGeek and found prices at a good price in, in the second deck. Gorgeous seats. Beautiful evening. We had a fantastic time and getting tickets was really literally as easy as two taps. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever, and it truly is easy. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Believe me, that confidence is very real. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code L-O-N-B-A, that's L-O-N-B-A, that's a new code, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase so let's let's move to the draft though philip because jonathan isaac's the guy that i want to talk about a lot here he was selected with pick six i really really like this selection for uh for the magic and i really like isaac as a fantasy player i've said this many times if you're talking about a dynasty rookie draft i believe that isaac is the fourth guy that should come off the board behind fultz ball and then dennis smith his ability to get blocks, his ability to get steals, his ability to hit threes, and his high rebounding rate, along with his high free throw percentage, and his ability to score could make him a very, very valuable fantasy player. But 
for this season, Philip, him getting minutes, it's going to be tough, isn't it? I've seen people say to me, oh, I'm not sure about Aaron Gordon this year because Isaac's going to cut into his minutes and they're going to have a minute split. I, I see no way that that'll be the case this season. Yeah, I, I don't see how that's going to be the case either. I mean, I, I'm sure one day the Magic would like to see Isaac and Gordon sharing the floor together, and, and then we can start then we can start debating Gordon at the four or Isaac at the five type type you know debates. Uh, but I don't think that's going to happen this year. I, I think that the Magic understand they drafted a guy who's who's still a big project. Um, you know, he's he's a guy that that even at Florida State last year he had his moments where he was he was clearly the guy and and looked really good. And then he had moments where he kind of just disappeared into the background. And I think that's kind of what his rookie year at, with the Magic is going to be. His role, I think they're going to keep it really, really simple. Defend, rebound, get out in transition, and then just kind of stay out of the way a little bit. I'm, I'm sure he'll get some opportunities to, to create, but he definitely still needs the time to kind of develop in season. It wouldn't surprise me if he gets some, some run at, at, at the G League. If, if you know the Mag- I think I've, I've already pinpointed a few games on the Lakeland Magic schedule where I'm like, I bet they send Jonathan Isaac down for that game, um, you know, especially if he's kind of in and out of the rotation and they just want to get him some playing time. So I think if you're, in a, yeah, if you're in a dynasty league, Isaac's probably a good bet because it, it, he projects really, really well. And honestly, uh, we didn't get a chance to really see him in summer league in Orlando. He played only two and a half games, really, but he got better every single game. And the last game before he left with a hip injury, um, which should be no issue now. Um, but before he left that game, he was just dominating the game. He was clearly the best player on the floor. And so as he gains more confidence, you can see him doing more and more and more. It's just about how long does it take for that confidence to develop. And I think this year it, the Magic are going to be willing to take it slow and let him play off the bench you know, at the three or the four, depending on, on how, they, how they shake things out. What you need to watch with Isaac this season is, again, he's probably projected to struggle more than any of those top picks, like probably more than Fultz Ball, um, you know, Tatum, perhaps, uh, Fox, Jackson, any of those guys. He's probably going to get believe... less opportunity than a lot of those guys too. I mean, I, I, don't, exactly, think, I don't think exactly. the minutes are going to be there. And what that means is halfway through a, a season in a dynasty league, people are going, oh, I took this guy. Um, yeah, I, I should have taken Jackson. I should have taken Fox. I should have taken um, Nilakina. I should have taken Mark, whoever it is. But it, when you see him struggling early on or not getting the minutes, then you go and you make a trade for him because he has got this elite fantasy potential with the triple ones, the high rebounding, the efficiency. He can do all that stuff. So when he comes out of the gate struggling, and some of these other guys, if Josh Jackson comes in and plays 28 minutes immediately, if Jason Tatum finds himself at 26 minutes a game and starts scoring 15 points a game, and Isaac's struggling there and he has seven points and four rebounds in 18 minutes, then you can try and, okay, I'll, I'll give you Tatum and give me back Isaac and a few more assets, and you might end up having the best player in the end. It's just going to be a patience thing, and he's not going to be playing big minutes this year unless something weird happens and Aaron Gordon goes down and they're forced to play him. Or unless Isaac's all that better sort than of we stuff. all think. <laughs> Exactly, well, and that is a possibility because he is really talented. But we just do think that he is going to be raw. But he is a name to watch, and I, I will. And yeah, you know, unless I get two years worth of data that tells me that he's bad, I'm still going to think that he's the fourth best fantasy rookie out of this class. And that's the way that that's the way I'm going to look at it. And that's the way you should, I think, be valuing him as well. So he is going to be really interesting to watch when he gets on the court, and let's see how he can do. All these things. Now, the Magic did have another first-round pick. They traded that away to the Philadelphia 76ers, but they ended up with a second-rounder. They had a couple of second-rounders, actually did, did some other trades there. But the one guy they did select was Wesley Awundu from Kansas State. Um, what, what do you make What do you make of Awundu this year? Is he going to be more of a Lakeland Magic guy? Um, will he be you know, seeing the rotation at all? Is he just, just a, 
a guy that just you know, hope can develop into those 3 and D wings, which can be so valuable in the NBA. Yeah, I think they're hoping that he can continue to develop. I mean, obviously he was a senior out of Kansas State, so uh, he was probably on the tail end of his development phase of, of, his, of his life. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think they really like, I, again, I think Wesley Wundu more projects as the kind of player the Magic want in the future. Just guys who are long, willing to defend, capable of hitting three-pointers, although I'm not 100% sure a Wundu quite falls into that category yet. Uh, and, and guys who just, you know, you know the, the cheesy line, high-character guys. I mean, I, that, that is definitely who Wesley Wundu is. Um, so, so he's basically Jonathan Simmons. Yeah, that, that's yeah. what they want him to turn into. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They would love for him to be Jonathan Simmons. Um, and so this year, I, I do think we'll probably see one do get a significant amount of time in the G League. Um, you know, uh, he's not on a two-way contract or anything. He signed a, a regular contract, so he'll be he'll be on the roster. They want him practicing with the team, but he'll he'll probably see more minutes in the G League than he probably will um, with the Magic because, as you said, as we pointed out already, you got Fournier, you got Ross, you got Simmons, you got Aflalo, you got Azonia. Those are all guys on the wings who are going to play ahead of him. I mean, unless Wundu is significantly better than he was at Summer League where he still kind of struggled to score. Um, and, and they probably had him on the ball too much. But, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's an energetic, athletic guy, but he's still got a long way to go specifically on offense to, to really kind of pass some of these guys ahead of him on the depth chart. We've spoken about the last 24 games of last season quite a bit um, in relation to you know, the trade and the way the lineup comes together. Alfred Payton and Aaron Gordon really started thriving in that time. They were given bigger roles. They were given more minutes. They were given more responsibility, and they took advantage of that. So do you think that that last 24 games and, and those roles that they were playing is predictive of what we see from them this year? Like Aaron Gordon, for example, after the All-Star break, was the 63rd-ranked player. and I think before the All-Star break, he was 225th. Alfred Payton was a top 50 guy after the All-Star break, you know, putting up significant numbers, racking up the triple-doubles. Do you think that both Gordon and Payton can maintain that level, considering how that lineup worked and that no one's really come in to challenge those positions for them? Yeah, I'm not sure if they can fully maintain that level, but I do think it is a little bit more predictive of what we'll see from them moving forward. Uh, the big thing that I think we saw after the All-Star break was Magic pushed the pace a lot more. They, I think their pace increased by you know, like one or two possessions per game um, over before the Austin break, which is, which sounds small, but turns into some pretty, turns pretty significant, especially since the Magic had Gordon at the four, they were able to create a lot more space. Uh, Peyton's three-point shooting, three-point attempts went down significantly, which is a, probably a good thing at, at the end of the day. I think the Magic were too loose allowing him to shoot three-pointers because frankly, they just needed three-point shooting. Uh, and so, Peyton was able to get into the paint where he is actually much more efficient. I mean, inside the three-point line, Peyton is able to figure out how to get his shots. I mean, teams still lay off as far as shooting jumpers, but if he gets in the paint, he's got a really nice floater. Um, He knows how to finish around the basket, and and he's confident, and you could just kind of see that confidence continuing to build. So it it, it felt like an extended hot streak almost for Peyton. Now, can he maintain those numbers uh, that he had after the All-Star break uh, last year? I don't know. I mean, those those numbers were really, really good. And, and I think there was a little bit of, you know, end of the season, nothing to play for type of, type of games from the Magic and even from their opponents who are like, you know, it's the Magic, we'll, we'll kind of deal with it. And, and, and I imagine once teams get a chance to really prepare for what they're doing, things will change. But on that same token, I think Frank Vogel and the Magic as a, as a team – now have a whole off season to prepare to play this style that they that they kind of were putting together 
you know, on a whim last year. So I think I think there's a little bit of a balance there for sure that's going to happen. Um, I'm still really high on Aaron Gordon. I'm probably uh, much higher on him than, than a lot of other people. Uh, you know, knock on wood here, Aaron Gordon's never had a healthy summer. Uh, and so I think that Aaron Gordon, I mean, he averaged 16 points per game, about seven rebound, six rebounds per game after the All-Star break last year. If Aaron Gordon can make the kind of leap that you know, you usually see from guys who, who have their summer, you know, I think he could be that guy and, and he could really be a, a really good pick for, for, for a team. I mean, he's going to shoot a decently high percentage. He's going to score a lot. I mean, the magic needs scores and, and Gordon's probably the most talented player on the team, you know, maybe except for Isaac now. Um, and he's, he's going to be versatile. I mean, he'll make a few threes again. He'll make a few threes a game. I don't think the three pointer is going to go away from his game. And it's probably something he's worked on a lot. Uh, and so it, it's definitely going to be really interesting to see whether any of this carries over. I, I think Gordon is the best candidate to see what he did at the end of last season, continue and grow because Frank, I mean, frankly, he's 21 years old. Um, and he's never had an NBA summer. He, I mean, he broke his jaw after his fresh after his rookie year, and missed most of that summer after killing it in summer league. I mean, I, I remember watching that summer league after his rookie year. Oh yeah, he was dominant. And and just thinking, is this the same player that we saw last season? Um, you know, that's the kind of leap that that we thought Gordon was about to make, and he lost it because he was hurt. And then in September last year, during an open gym, he sprained his ankle, and missed half of training camp. So. Not only has Aaron Gordon not had an NBA summer, he hasn't had a full training camp since his rookie year. So I think that there's definitely going to – I think Gordon is definitely a, a prime candidate to, to see those numbers continue and, and, and make, a, make a leap even. If we look at what Gordon did after the break, he said they're 16 and 6, but he also got a steal a game, 0.7 blocks and 0.83s. But more importantly, he shot 50% from the field and he shot 83% from the line when the season before he was at under 67%. So you can keep up those those high percentages, which maybe at that level is not, um, not realistic, but keeping them to, to a close to average number. It, we're talking about a guy that's, and I think both him and Peyton are two of the biggest underrated players in the entire NBA in terms of their fantasy value. Like Aaron Gordon's getting drafted at 107 and 110, which is just ludicrous. If you get him at that spot, it's fantastic. I think he's got a real shot to crack the top 60, maybe even the top 50 and become a triple one type of player. And if those efficiency numbers hold up over the second half of the season, especially the field goal percentage as he's closer to the basket and he gets closer to 50 instead of 46%, then we're talking about a guy that can increase you know, scoring to 16, 17 points a game and and become that top 50 guy. And one thing you mentioned about Peyton as well, it's really important for, for fantasy. You can talk about him being a poor shooter and that's fine, but he knows what shots to take. He knows which shots he's good at. And he shot 50% from the field after the All-Star break as well. So it doesn't matter in terms of fantasy. Oh, he's not a good shooter. If he converts his shots at 50%, it's 50%. It doesn't matter if they're all around the rim or if they're all easy floaters or if he's taking them from 20 feet. It doesn't matter in terms of fantasy production. And that's why Peyton is valuable. So he became a guy that used to be, oh, he's going to hurt both my percentages. To After the break, he was a player that shot 50 and 75 from the field and from the line, which is totally fine. And he, he cut his three-point attempt rate in half, which helped that efficiency go up. He was averaging almost eight assists. He was averaging six and a half rebounds. And he still got room to get better because, Philip, for some reason, his steal rate has dropped considerably since his rookie season where he averaged 1.7 steals. And last year, he was only at one steal a game. So we know he can play defense. We know he can play a passing lane. So he's got scope to improve there. And he's a guy that's going... 
in the 80s in drafts. And, and I, I really love that as well. He's another guy that can challenge for that top 60, top 50. I think both of those guys, um, yeah, based on what we saw and based on what we know they have been able to do when they're put in the right spot, that they can they can replicate that. So I'm really excited to see both of those guys put those numbers uh, together this season. Evan Fournier was a guy, I think, I don't know about, about you, but I think he was a little bit disappointing last season and what he was able to do, but he still, I guess, did what he needed to do. Like he scored 17 points a game. He, um, he hit two threes. He was decently efficient, not as efficient as he was the season before, but it was a little bit of a, of a, of a letdown based on um, him signing that new contract. Do you think that he's got some bounce back in him and that the play of Gordon and Peyton and the addition of Simmons can help him you know, get some of that uh, form back that we saw. Cause again, he was another guy who was strong down the stretch where he averaged 18 points a game after the all-star break. Yeah. I, I think, I think he's definitely someone who, who can bounce back a little bit. I mean, I think uh, I mean, magic fans have been, you know, or at least part of the magic fan base at least has, has been putting in a lot of hate on Evan Fournier. And I, I, I'm an Evan Fournier guy. So I, don't, I don't quite understand it. I mean, I, I get it. He, he was inefficient last year. Uh, and, and I think part of that, I mean, as much as any player, I think Fournier was hurt by all the shuffling the Magic did last year. Yes, he was still the team's leading scorer, but I think it pushed him into a role. And this was a concern I had about when the Magic traded Victor Oladipo because I thought Fournier always played his best playing off of Oladipo. Um it pushed Fournier into a role that he's just not capable of playing. I mean, he should not be leading scorer, number one option guy. He should not be the guy you put the ball in his hands and, and have him attack off the dribble. That's not who he is um, as as a player, and that, that's not where his skill set is used best. Uh, and so I think that uh, what happened after the All-Star break, to, to, to your point again about Peyton, the Magic kind of shifted their offense. It wasn't... Uh, Evan Fournier-centric offense anymore. It was an Alfred Payton offense. Alfred Payton had the ball in his hands a lot. He was running pick and rolls and distributing, and that put Fournier in the right role, where he's playing off the ball and attacking a rotating defense rather than playing in the pick and roll almost exclusively or trying to break guys down off the dribble. That's not what he's good at. Um, And so I think, you know, we know from past seasons that Fournier can be an efficient player. I mean, last year I think was the first year since his rookie year that he didn't shoot 40% from beyond the arc. Uh, so we know that he can be a knockdown three-point shooter. You just kind of have to take the ball out of his hands and let him be on the weak side or let him be a guy that you rotate the ball to because he'll score efficiently and effectively off a rotating defense. And I think that's what the Magic started doing a lot more of last year, especially with the paint not cluttered with Ibaka, Vucevic, and Gordon all kind of hanging around there. I mean, I think you still see defenses where all five guys have their foot in the paint, but... Um, but Fournier became a much more effective player after the All-Star break. And I, and I think that's much closer to the player that Evan Fournier is more than anything else. Um, you know, if he's this team's leading scorer, are the Magic going to be successful? Probably, probably not. Um, and, and he might still very well be. But I think he, I think his scoring will kind of stay where it is. And I think his efficiency will go up because I think the Magic, again, try, kind of figure out how they want to play now. He's a guy that's getting drafted in the 80s at the moment. I've got him a little bit below that, but I don't think there's any problem there. You're going to get some decent scoring, good threes. The efficiency, again, as you said, I think it should rise. He gets a steal. He can handle the ball a little bit. I think he's a fine, solid pick who's 
role is not really going to change too much. A guy whose role did change a little bit last season was Nikola Vucevic, who we saw at the start of the season, the the benching, the Biombo, all that sort of stuff. But eventually Vogel realized, you know what, Biombo's not that good. So we just need to get Vucevic back out there. And he started playing you know, the 30 minutes a game in the second half of the season and doing basically what he always does, rebounding the ball well. He blocks a shot a game. He gets a steal. He can be relatively efficient. Um, and he started to hit threes uh, a little bit. He always you know, starts to hit them more over in Europe during the summer. But he can start to add that into his game. So is it just going to be more of the same for Vooch this season, do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a lot of the same from Vooch. I think his scoring will, will, will possibly creep up again. I, he, had a, he had a really poor scoring year last year. And I think some of it was just the clutter in the paint. I mean... So much of the Magic's problems are just that, is that they can't get got, get defensive, defenses out of the paint, and so everyone ends up kind of on the perimeter where they're not at their strongest. And I think Vucevic shot more mid-range jumpers last year than he had at any point in his career, uh, which is which is bad. It's obviously an inefficient shot, and you know for center especially, and especially in fantasy, centers you rely on to kind of you know bring up your field goal percentage. Uh, and Vucevic didn't bring that last year, and he shot, you know, worse than forty, worse than fifty percent from from the floor for the first time since his rookie year. Uh, so that's obviously something that Vucevic has to change. He has to get get in the post a little bit more, where he's an effective post player, um, and and kind of shy away from those mid range jumpers. If he adds a three point shot, that's great. Um, you know, I I don't know if he's going to be able to add that. It certainly would add an element to his game. Uh, but something clearly didn't work with Vucevic last year. I don't think he's quite on the downturn of his career. I mean, he's only 26 years old. Uh, but it de- he definitely needs to find a way to get back to where he was last year or the year before when he was a really efficient player and able to score near the basket. Have you got any idea why he, along with... There's been a, a numerous amount of players last year, Pau Gasol, Victor Oladipo, LeBron James, why he all of a sudden shot 10% worse from the free throw line. Like he'd been a 75% guy every year. And then last year he was at 66. Now he started off the season horrendously and he ended it, I think last two months shooting about 76%. But why was he so bad to begin the year? I, you know, I don't have an answer to that. I really, I really don't. I mean, it, it, it puzzles me too, because he is such a good shooter. I mean, he is probably one of the best shooting big men in the league. I mean, his, his, I mean, we'll probably see this at Eurobasket. His, his jumper is just, just strong. I mean, that, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to say Vooch go in the post, you know, score close to the basket when you know if he's popping on a, on a pick and roll that defenses have to respect his ability to hit from from the elbows and from you know from the free throw line extended. Um, it, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, I think Vucevic, as much as any player, you know, took the changes hard. Um, you know, I think bringing in Bismack Biombo, a guy who plays his same position. You know, I think he took that a little personally. I mean, it's not that it created friction in the locker room. Uh, or anything, I'm sure. But, I'm sure he did. But he, he had comments could, saying, "Yeah, you that. could tell he wasn't thrilled about it." And and you could tell there were a lot of guys that were just trying to figure out how to make things work, and they they just couldn't. Um, and and so I think Vucevic really struggled with that as much as anyone because you know his personality is very laid back, and and he you know he's very much a finesse player. He isn't a you know go in the post and mix things up physically with guys and. You know, it, it felt like all of last year he tried to be something that he wasn't. And so he's, he's just got to kind of re, recenter himself and, and, and get back to what he does well. I mean, he is a good NBA player. He's a, probably a starter caliber NBA player, whether he should be starting on a, on a playoff team is, is another question that Magic fans debate endlessly. But he is a very productive player, and, and he's got to find his way back up to the, to the production level we all know he can, he can reach. 
We talked about Terence Ross a little bit earlier on. We assume he's going to start, but he does have consistency issues. We've seen that where he can go and be hot and shoot the three, and then he can go through huge cold streaks. He does offer steals, but he doesn't offer much else as a fantasy guy. So while he's fine to me as a late pick, I just don't see the real upside there with him, especially with Simmons maybe taking one or two minutes away from him. Um, but you think that the addition of, of Ross in that starting line really does help the other players around him there? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I know he didn't shoot fantastic from the three-point line with the Magic. He was 34.1% from beyond the arc. But but I, I, I kind of believe that with three-point shooters, it's more the belief that they can hit threes rather than whether they actually hit threes that changes defenses. And yep. Terrence Ross has a reputation in this league of making three-pointers. That's, that's what a lot of the league thinks about him, that he is a good three-point shooter. And so that did loosen up the defense a little bit to help the Magic offense work a, work a little bit better. Um, and so I think that's kind of what Ross is. I mean, he's his whole career essentially has been, he's the, the threat of what Terrence Ross is rather than what Terrence Ross actually is. You know, having said that, I think the Magic used Terrence Ross in different ways and, and helped him expand his game a little bit. But, you know, his, his statistics stayed pretty flat, about 12 points per game. You know, that's, that's about what you're going to expect, expect from him. And, and I think, you know, he's more there for the threat of what he is more than what he actually will do on the floor. And he'll obviously do some things, but, but he's, he's kind of there to make the rest of the offense work just by his presence and his gravity. Yeah. That, that's going to be his biggest impact in fantasy is opening up things for Gordon and for Peyton and for Fournier and for Vucevic rather than him being this huge contributor. He'd be a nice streaming option, but I don't think he's a real um, guy that you want to just have and, and hold on to all season. Now, Phil, there are a couple of guys I think that we can have in this in this category, but I want to hear who your choice is for the breakout candidate on this team, and you can f- define that or phrase that however you want. Um, I think the breakout candidate on this team is Aaron Gordon. Um, you know, I, I talked a little bit about that earlier, uh, but – uh, I think that he is a guy that's that's really, really talented, and everyone knows he's really, really talented. Uh, and he's never really had the opportunity to grow that talent. It's, it's, you know, frankly, kind of amazing to me that he's gone as far as he has with all the instability with the Magic. Um, this year is actually the first year that he and Alfred Payton have had the same coach for consecutive years. Um, yeah, that's crazy. Even, even like, uh, I mean, it's crazier even Evan Fournier, has never had the same coach in consecutive years before this upcoming season. Um, even dating back to Denver, he was coached by George Carl's rookie year, Brian Shaw his second year, he was traded to Orlando, coached by Jacques Vaughn and James Borrego his third year, Scott Skiles his fourth year, and Frank Vogel last year. So there, there hasn't been a lot of stability with the Magic. I mean, every year for the last three years for Orlando, they've had to go into camp and learn everything fresh. And so there's definitely benefit to having the same coaching staff return, to having that familiarity, and, and and maybe even being able to give some of the new guys a head start in pick in pickup games over like what they're trying to do and what they're going to do, and just knowing what the expectations of the coach are. Uh, for Gordon specifically, like I meant, like I mentioned earlier, he's never had a healthy summer, uh, and and you know players make their big improvements in the off season. I mean, it's always said a player makes his biggest jump between his rookie year and his sophomore year. Gordon looked like he was about to do that, and then he got he got himself hurt. I mean, you know, roughhousing with his brother, broke his jaw, and, and he was on the shelf until the middle of training camp. And so I think that Gordon being healthy, getting the chance to spend this entire time getting, getting himself ready for the season, being able to go through a full training camp with a coach that he's familiar with, with the role that he's familiar with, 
I think that, and not only that, it's a contract year for Aaron Gordon. I think all of those elements, you know, I don't know if Aaron Gordon becomes whatever, I don't think he becomes an all-star or anything, but I think, you know, we look at Aaron Gordon at the end of the season and say, this kid could make the star turn soon. And, And maybe it's two years later or a year later than we wanted it to be because of all the delays in his development and, and the instability with the organization. But I, I, I think that Gordon is a guy that could really take a huge leap this season uh, and really look like that star player the Magic so desperately need. Yeah, I think there's – obviously his age is a big factor in that as well. He's only 21, yeah. so he has got huge room to grow, in, and I agree with all that. And that ties into who I think the value fantasy guys are on this team. I think Vucevic going at 57 and 61 on Yahoo and ESPN is ridiculous. He should be able to go back at least inside the top 50, if not the top 40. Uh, Alfred Payton at 81 on Yahoo is way too low. 59 on ESPN makes more sense, but he's got a top 50 opportunity as well. And Aaron Gordon outside the top 100 – if you are in those the 90s and Gordon is there, you just take him because there is top 50 upside there. That, to me, is uh, going to be on pretty much all my teams unless I'm drafting against people who listen to this podcast who also go for Aaron <laughs> Gordon. And it, doesn't mean I'm, it doesn't mean I'm taking him at 60. It doesn't mean I'm taking him at 50. But when he's falling out, and people say this to me about lots of guys because Gary Harris is one of those players. Well, like, oh, would, you, know, you think he's going to be close to top 50. Would you take him at 50? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take him at 50. But I let them slide. And when they get to 80, 90, 100 – and I'm getting 30 spots of potential value, that's where it is. And that's why Gordon at that spot, 104 on Yahoo and 110 on ESPN, is one of the biggest no-brainer picks you can get in one of those late rounds because I just can't see him being that poor. Now, I thought the same thing last year and him out of position killed it, but that's not going to be a problem this year. And we saw when he's actually in that proper position with the players around him that need to be there, that it actually works well. And I'm thinking that will carry over. So he's a, a real value guy. On the on the flip side, Bismack Biombo for some reason, is getting drafted to pick 144. There is absolutely no reason that you should be drafting him anywhere inside the top 250 probably because A, he's not going to get the minutes and B, he doesn't do anything statistically with those minutes. And Jonathan Isaac at 108, that just seems a little bit, uh, a little bit ambitious over on ESPN to be taking him there. And while I love him, I think the opportunity for him to crack anywhere near that top 100 is uh, is almost non-existent for this season. But this is one of those teams that, and this often happens in fantasy, is a little bit of an under-radar, under-the-radar team, a team that doesn't get as much national attention. Therefore, a lot of their players go undervalued in fantasy, as opposed to the Lakers, as opposed to the Cavs, where you can get Vooch and Payton and Gordon there, their best three fantasy players. You can get them all 20 or 30 spots below where they probably should be going. So there is a lot of guys on this team that you can target and uh, and it can work out well for you. So I'm uh, I'm happy to say that there'll be a few magic guys on a, on a few of my teams this year. Now, Philip, to wind this up, I get all the guests to have a look at the over-unders for this team and, and give their prediction. The Vegas over-unders came out yesterday and they've got the Magic sitting at 33.5 wins. ESPN's Kevin Pelton had them projected at 32.2. So do you take the over or the under at 33.5? You know, that is like right at the number I have the Magic at. Um, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll be the optimist. I shade the over. But I think 33-34 wins is, is probably where the Magic are going to end up this year. I mean, that's a, a solid 4-5 win improvement for a team that... Didn't really make a lot of changes. They, they improved their bench, which which is a huge deal for this team. Uh, you look at their bench lineups last year, especially after the All-Star break. It seems like we're talking about two seasons. There's the before the All-Star break season and then the after the All-Star break season. But after the All-Star break, their bench lineups were just atrocious. Uh, just, just really, really bad, statistically. Uh, and, and dug the Magic a lot of holes. And, and the starting lineup is, is solid statistically, but still 
possibly shaky. I mean, I, I don't think that this is a team that improved itself significantly, but definitely improved itself enough to to make me say, you know, they're better. They'll they'll have a better you know, barring injury, obviously. They'll have a better record than they did last year, and I think a, a two, three, four game improvement is certainly in the cards. Uh, you know, best case scenario, this team gets back to that 35, 36 win mark they were at two years ago, and, and kind of sets themselves, you know, back on onto a, a straighter course, and maybe add some value to their guys to to make to make some changes to really begin pushing for the playoff spot that this that this franchise is coveting so much. One thing I can hope for with this team, I think we all hope for, Philip, is we don't have to sit through any of those games where they score 70 points in a game because I think that happened twice with this team last year and they were just unwatchable. But I, I think I think we'll be all right. I don't think we're going to have that happen this year. So that's that's the biggest thing that I'm looking forward to is not having to watch because you know, Magic games are always the, the 7 p.m. Eastern games, so the early ones. And then last year was a couple of times when you're like, this is, I, I, can't, I can't watch this. But I don't think it'll be the case. It's not the seventy-point games that that got me. Like those were frustrating. Those were frustrating. The Magic lost, I think, six games last year by thirty or more points. Yeah, and just that's bad. no chance. No chance at the game. If you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna score only seventy points, you know, be in the game. Which the Magic, I think, generally were in a few of those games. Losing by thirty says something much worse about about this team. And and honestly. That's what concerns me. You know, we've talked a lot about how you know I think this team is going to get better, uh, and how they were they were decent after the All Star break. Um, what concerns me about what happened after the All Star break is they still lost some games by thirty plus points, and maybe some of that is the season was over, they had nothing to play for, and they just kind of gave in. But that says something too, and so there's there's definitely still some concern that. You know, maybe there's something much deep. Maybe the rod is much deeper with this team than than people want to believe, or at least Magic fans or Magic followers like me want to believe. I think they beat the Bulls by forty in one game, though, didn't they? Uh last year I don't know if they beat uh, anybody by that much. Maybe I'm imagining. The, I Bulls, they, the uh, Bulls beat them by forty. Oh, did they? I knew there was a, a weird. That was, okay. that was actually. Wow, that's I, I bad. Think, then <laughs> I think there were only three games I didn't watch last year, and I didn't watch that game because I was at a Passover seder. Um, oh yes, and so, here we go. And so I, forty-seven. I missed that. I, yeah, I was checking. I was checking the score in between in between cups of wine and saw it, and was just shaking my head like, "Uh oh, this is bad." Yeah. That's yeah, it. Yeah, the second last game of the season, seventy-five to one twenty-two against the Bulls. So yeah, let's hope we don't have any more of those of those losses for Magic fans. Philip, thank you for for coming on and uh, let everyone know what you've got coming for Locked On Magic or anything else you wanna you wanna plug. Uh, yeah, uh, you can obviously find me on Locked On Magic, uh, the, the great podcast that covers the Magic every day, except for except for yesterday when I didn't do an episode. Um, but you can find me on OrlandoMagicDaily.com where I'll be covering a EuroBasket coming up. I'm doing. A couple of things here as we, we get ready, start gearing up for the season. Uh, obviously, it's kind of a quiet time. Uh, and, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at philiprr underscore omd as well as at omagicdaily. I'll, I'll respond to you at either one. All right, so go ahead and listen to Locked on Magic. Check out Philip's stuff over at Orlando Magic Daily as well and follow him on Twitter. You can also follow me on Twitter at redrock underscore beeble and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, and on Spotify and leave that review. It would be awesome if you could do that. Phil, thanks again for coming on for the second or maybe third year in a row, I think. I think it's the third year in a row now. It's, yeah, I, think, I, feel, I, think I feel, it feel like is. a veteran. Yeah, you are. You're definitely in, in the season previews. I think you are. You've you've been on the most out of, out of everyone. So you are. You're leading the way in that category. So for three years in a row, Philip's been our 
source for magic info. So check him out wherever wherever you can uh, find that podcast, uh, Locked On Magic, and the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network as well. Phil, thank you. No problem. Thanks for having me on. All right, we are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. As always, thanks to Josh Lloyd for having me on Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Remember to check out that podcast. It is, it is truly one of the best fantasy basketball podcasts. Uh, I've, I've had the pleasure of participating in the season previews for the last three years, um, like we said on, on the show. Uh, daily recaps of everything fantasy. If you're a fantasy basketball player, you should be subscribed to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast. Uh, you can, of course, find that on Audio Boom and iTunes as part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Be sure to also follow Josh at RedRock underscore B-Ball. That's RedRock underscore B-Ball. He is a fantastic. You can tell by the podcast he's fantastic. He knows his stuff. Um, gives you the fantasy perspective on everything going on around the NBA. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at R underscore OMD as well as at Daily and at LockedOnMagic. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Audio, Stitcher, TuneIn, all the fun places you download podcasts, your podcast-enabled listening device. And finally, for the latest on the Orlando Magic, be sure to check out OrlandoMagicDaily.com. We'll have a complete recap of Evan Fournier's first game at Eurobasket, as well as plenty of other goodies over on the site as we get ready for next week. Next week's a special week, and I'll explain, uh, I'll explain why, I guess, tomorrow. I'll explain uh, what I have planned for next week tomorrow since tomorrow's Friday. That'll do it for me today. Thank you again for listening to today's episode of Locked On Magic Special. Thanks again to Josh Lloyd of Locked On Fantasy Basketball for Orlando Magic Daily and Locked On Magic, as well as for Josh of Locked On Fantasy Basketball. This has been Philip Rossman-Reich. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you all tomorrow on another episode of Locked On Magic. You are Locked On Magic. Your daily Orlando Magic Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99. And our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.